0: It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk-takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying differently.
1: Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency, Advanced B2B. It's your host here, Edward Ford, and today we're joined by a very special guest, Bill Makaitis, former CMO of Slack. Now, Bill is one of the all-time great marketers with a background that ranges from working at a successful gaming startup to big B2C brands like IGN, Fox Sports, and American Idol. When it comes to SaaS marketing, Bill spent just under four years at Salesforce as SVP of marketing and led Zendesk to their successful $1.7 billion IPO as CMO before moving to Slack as their first marketing hire, which is one of the fastest-growing B2B software companies of all time. Some people say that it's difficult to learn from unicorns since they are outliers by nature, but today we are comprehensively putting that myth to bed as Bill shares with us the story of what happened behind the scenes of Slack's phenomenal growth alongside his thoughts, wisdom, and learnings on all things marketing, including how Bill handled his first 100 days as CMO of Slack, the role of customer centricity in marketing that helped make Slack the fastest growing B2B software company in history, how Slack built its brand strategy and how to measure the performance of a brand marketing campaign, the role of content marketing as a growth driver, how to develop your marketing strategy when going upmarket from the SMB to the mid-market and enterprise sectors, and the key factors from a marketing perspective that enabled Bill to help build multiple billion dollar unicorns. And stay tuned to the end of the episode where Bill takes on our Fast Five challenge and gives his best piece of advice for fellow marketers. So here is episode 10 of the Growth Hub podcast with Bill Makaitis, former CMO of Slack. Welcome to the show, everyone. And it is my pleasure to welcome and wish a very good morning to Bill McKytus, former CMO at Slack and Zendesk turned SaaS advisor and investor. So, welcome to the show, Bill. How are things over in California? Uh,
0: thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, as we record this, we're having quite the uh, crazy wildfires right now in Northern California, uh, which is actually a little close to where I live, a little too close to where. I live for comfort, but um, outside of that, uh, just excited to be on today, and thank you again for having me.
1: Yeah, we're we're super excited to have you, and and you've recovered from stock in Dublin, which is where we met a couple of weeks ago. I
0: have, yes. It was an incredible event, Uh, great to meet so many other kind of SaaS entrepreneurs and people in the ecosystem. Uh, It was a fantastic event, and yeah, just kind of a chance encounter there, but it was great that we uh, connected.
1: Yeah, yeah, really good to meet there. And uh, like I said, we're thrilled to have you on the show to talk uh, primarily about Slack uh, a bit about Zendesk as well, but really about how you built uh, a billion dollar company, not once, but twice. Um, but I was thinking before we jump into that, uh, we could start things off by hearing a little more about yourself and your background and how you actually found your way into SaaS.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've, I've always loved business. I don't know what it was, but, you know, at a really early age, I knew that, you know, I wanted to run my own businesses to get into it. I was a uh, the nerd in the back of the class reading uh, Fortune, Forbes, Business Week, and The Economist. I, I just love that stuff. I was so it in. And, um, you know, I did a startup right out of college. Uh, I didn't even know about VCs at the time. <laughs> My life would have been a lot easier because uh, we had to use our own money, and we didn't have much money. I just graduated from college, but we did a uh, startup in the gaming space, uh, built it up to about 10 million members, launched really early, yeah, membership programs, so we had recurring monthly uh, subscription revenues, you know, like silver, gold, platinum, you know, built that up, um, did advertising revenue, commerce revenue. We ended up selling that company. Uh, and then I worked at maybe about half my career was in the B2C space. So I worked for uh, companies like IGN Entertainment. They were big kind of gaming news sites. And they also had um, Rotten Tomatoes, which some people might know about, Ask AskMen, GameSpy. Uh, we built that up to uh, $100 million in revenue, and then we sold that to News Corp for about uh, Think 650 million then went on to lead marketing for all those um all of the news core properties the online marketing side so did everything from you know fox sports fox news wall street journal um we had like american idol even myspace joined at one time and we built that into i think the third largest network in the world uh and then from there I just really got a call from um salesforce and mark on the B2B side, you know, and I think Mark was looking to infuse a little bit more B2C DNA into the company. And it was a really cool opportunity because I I just, I've always believed in the cloud and SaaS and it was just incredible to kind of join Salesforce in an early stage. So worked there about four years, uh, then went on to Zendesk um, as their CMO and took them through the IPO. And then uh, most recently was with Slack uh, and kind of joined pretty early and helped build up their sales success marketing and support teams. Um, and finally, after 20 years of doing operator and accumulating a little bit of uh, technical debt with the family of not being here, <laughs> I shifted <laughs> into uh, paying off that debt. And now I do uh, board roles and uh, board advisory roles for, you know, fast growing companies that are looking for, you know, advice on scaling their go to market or building up the organizational structure, hiring, um, wherever I can do it, I love
1: to help them out. now. Yeah, so so a very varied and interesting background going from B to C and then moving into B2B and more in particular the B2B SaaS space. And uh, you joined Slack as CMO in November 2014. So let's let's jump back in time a little bit here. So could you tell us a bit about how big the company was then and, and what was the situation when you joined?
0: Yeah, it was the company was pretty tiny when I joined. So there were maybe about I'll say forty or fifty people. I'm trying to remember the Exact number. I, I kind of joined as literally the first marketing person. <laughs> and uh, from there, my role kind of expanded where I kind of built out the marketing, sales, success, and support team. So it was more of like a CRO type role or maybe a, a COO type role, depending kind on of how you would define that. Um, but it was uh, it was an incredible company to join at the time um, because, you know, at that point, like uh, for Micro, I was looking for new challenges and I just felt when you looked at the world around us, the, the shift from email to messaging was this massive macro trend, which actually, if you looked at the numbers, it already played out on the B2C side. Like there were more people on messaging services now than on social networks. Like everyone uh, has shifted to messaging. If you're under 30, you don't even have an email address. Um, and it was just starting on the business side. So kind of to, to join Slack ahead, there's a really great product, but hadn't quite built up uh, the marketing machine yet, hadn't quite figured out how to explain itself, um, hadn't figured out, you know, what is the long-term brand and and how do we play in this space? Um, To me, those were all amazing opportunities and kind of come in at ground zero and and build that strategy, build that team from uh, from nothing was uh, super exciting for me.
1: Yeah, I bet. So you came into the company first full-time marketing hire. Talk us through uh, what you actually did then in those first hundred days, so how did you how did you approach uh, your role as CMO when you joined?
0: Yeah, sure. so I, I think you know there's there were a bunch of parallel paths that were happening there. Um, I think the first one is you know I knew we were going to need to build out uh, a marketing team and start building in some of these really critical functions. So right away, I started to hire. I built in a lot of people from my existing network, people I' worked with before. Uh, we started building up one of the first key teams I always build up as the marketing ops team. So brought in uh, a brilliant leader there and really just started to lay the foundation for what are the core metrics we're going to track. Um, we really quickly brought in a very sophisticated multi-channel attribution technology. We started tracking the brand metrics um, just really to get a baseline. You know, I, I think that's always a, a good thing to do is before we even start doing all these marketing programs and strategies and start spending a ton of money. Or a little money, whatever it is, right? Like have a baseline of where you're growing and what your core metrics are before you, so you can see, like, You can you can show the results and you can prove it, right? That's that's great. So we start building out um, all these different teams: the marketing ops, the product marketing teams, um, the advertising teams, the content teams. Um, so that was that was one of the big things was like just starting to bring in like the key leaders for each of those. And for anyone that's hired before, you know, it can, it can take a lot of your time. Um, in parallel to that, I I also started just working on like our, our, our basic core positioning and messaging. And I mean, it was fascinating when I joined, you know, I, I I talked to all the board members and I said, Hey, you know, how how do you describe Slack? Uh, you know, when you run into someone and, and then I was, you know, I kind of went in and I started the first week and I, I literally just sat down and set up time to talk to every, you know, 50 people that were there. And I asked every one of those, like, how do you describe Slack? And I got about uh, 50 different answers <laughs> from everyone. I don't think I heard the same answer twice, which meant that we really didn't have a uh, consistent messaging framework on how we describe ourselves, what's our elevator pitch. And so um, a lot of the work in the initial days went towards that, having a messaging uh, kind of document that would explain, hey, in, in one sentence, how do we explain what we are in one paragraph, here's the elevator pitch, You know, here are the core editorial tone and values Um, Just kind of synthesizing all that together, Um, that that took a lot of time. Uh, And then, you know, we we knew that we wanted to use advertising as a a key uh, generator for us, uh, both on the brand side and on the lead gen side. And so we started thinking about that as well. We started engaging with some agencies pretty early uh, to figure out who is going to be a great fit. Uh, We did a large RFP process and and really just kicked that off. So I'd say like within the first hundred days, those those were most of the core items that I had focused
1: on. Yeah. Can you share what were some of the descriptions people uh, gave when you asked, you know, what is Slack in those early days? Oh,
0: geez. It was all over the board. I mean, okay. you know, you had some people that I, I remember one person, I, I think she worked at IT and she's like, it's a giant vacuum cleaner, you know, for all your information, uh, which actually was kind of a cool analogy because it was more on this idea of people that have used Slack at it, it first when you come in. You think it's a lot about top messaging service for your teams, um, but the more you use it, a really cool thing you can do is you can tie it into all these other services. And all the stuff that normally clogging up your inbox, um, all these notifications, you can just send into nice little messages that go into individual channels and just make it a lot more organized. So anytime you get a new lead or anytime your expense report uh, gets updated or anytime you know a travel thing, it, literally anything you can send into your own channels and stuff. Um, the vacuum cleaner was a fun one because it did kind of talk about, like, you know, sucking in all this information <laughs> and putting it in different places. You know, you had some people that used uh, chats, and, and that, was a, that was a word or phrase we didn't really like, and we kind of, <laughs> we put that on the ban list. Um, simply because, like, it, it really positioned us against a lot of existing features, a lot of existing services. And also, we didn't feel was very um, representative of the breadth and depth of what uh, Slack offered. Um, eventually we settled on, you know, it's a messaging platform for teams, um, but we continue to iterate that. And that's one thing I always say to, you know, fellow startups is, A, that's a hard process. That took us like six months to really nail down. Um, and then B, you know, it, it's, it's going to take time, you know, and you got to think about like how it evolves over uh, the lifetime of your company and, and how do you grow and expand and how does it envelop um, new areas that you're supporting? You know, is it inspirational? Is it something that people can rally behind? Uh, the, the core messaging and positioning is something I find a lot of companies just don't spend the amount of time that they should be on.
1: Yeah, and it, it's particularly challenging uh, for early stage SaaS companies, but also in Slack's case, when you have a, a a tool or a solution that speaks across so many verticals, trying to nail that one value proposition yeah. and explain in one sentence what it does is is a huge challenge. So, so good to know that you you had. <laughs> troubles there and and that you invested a lot of time and effort in in working it out in the end. Um now another thing I want to talk about and and move on to is customer centricity. And I know this is something you're a huge proponent of. Uh when you were talking at uh in Dublin, you were also talking about this a lot. So tell us about the role the customer played and what sort of customer centric strategies did you build, you know, to help make Slack the fastest growing B2B software company in history.
0: Sure. So you know, it's it's really interesting if you look at most startups or most uh, SaaS companies, and you kind of really dive into the logs or sign up surveys or whatever methodologies they're using to understand their growth. A huge portion of of most companies' growth is coming off of word of mouth, and you can look at that and just go, "Okay, that's great," and I guess that's just kind of random, and you know, we'll just whatever traffic we get there, we'll we'll let it be, you know, or you can. And the way I always thought was like, wow, this is this is huge. And word of mouth is amazing traffic because A, you don't have to pay as much for it. <laughs> Jen's coming word of mouth. And you know, B, I remember my days post college doing that startup and like I didn't have money. Like we really had to focus on, you know, kind of these different ways to spur word of mouth, viral growth adoption, you know, all these different techniques. Um, you know, and, and as I started shifting into the B2B side of the house, I, I was also a buyer. Like I was a CMO and, you know, for those in the SaaS space, you see a lot of the budget is shifting from IT to your individual line of business owners, right? Um, cause you don't need to always go through IT anymore because it's so easy to use and you just buy a subscription and you start. And, and what I noticed was, wow, like it was a really bad experience for me buying stuff. Um, you know, when you, I would go hear about a company, maybe I would, I would search for it. I would go to their website, and I couldn't even play a video to figure out what they were without giving them 17, you know, fields of my personal information. Um, if I did, I was called the next day, maybe before I was ready, maybe before I wasn't. You know, in many cases, I wasn't ready. Um, you know, when I started using the product, or when we, maybe we did buy some, some software, maybe we spent a decent amount of money on it. And I had seven people whining and dining me. And the minute, like I signed that deal, everyone ran away. It was like, <laughs> it was like rats in the light, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I have this really large, complex piece of software now. And where'd everybody go? And they're like, oh, well, if you want help, you know, using this or training, you know, you should spend another million dollars on our professional services. And I'm like, I'm like, huh? That doesn't seem like a, um, a an interesting model. Um, so you know, that wasn't good. And then, like, you know, when you get into the product itself, and you start you know, actually using it, um, if you did have trouble and you needed to contact support or something, you know, you couldn't find it. I mean, you literally had to, you know, there's no link in, in the support, within the product, you had to go to the website, you had to go five tiers down, find the support email address, email them, like five days later, you would get help. And I'm just like, oh my God, like this is, and, and we expect people to go, boy, that was a great experience. I'm going to recommend that. Um, and so I really just thought that like this idea of customer centricity, Is recognizing that a brand is not your slogan, it's not your logo. The brand is the sum of every single touch point a customer has with you during their journey. And in many cases, it's the go-to-market teams, marketing, sales, support, success, that most heavily influence that experience. And so we really set out to maybe redefine, maybe re-innovate, like what does that go-to-market experience look like at Slack? Um, We had a really interesting opportunity to do that. Because we were we were starting from scratch, you know, we didn't have any pre-existing um, strategies or pre-existing teams, and so we could approach it in a much different way. So, um, a, a, at a tactical level, a bunch of things we did differently. First, at a hiring standpoint, the core values of Slack were around craftsmanship, courtesy, empathy. Uh, those last two were really important for us. When I mean, every single person we hired, we screened them against you know how courteous were they, how em- empathetic were they. Could they put themselves in their customer's shoes? Like that was a really big test for us. And we had questions and we would, you know, try to tease that out in different ways. But again, very service oriented, almost like, you know, like people that work at a really high end hotel, like a Four Seasons or something like that, just have that like service, you know, service first, always about the customer. Um, That was a big one. From a pricing standpoint, we said, you know, we're going to try to innovate here and, Basically, you know, when if people stop using the product, we're going to give them credits and refunds back. You know that that was like really different in SaaS. Even in SaaS, a lot of times signed for an annual contract, and you stop using the product, or you still have to pay for it. And we really tried to align our users, um, our users' interests with ours. Like we don't get paid unless they actually use the product. And to this day, a lot of people, small businesses out there, will start using Slack and maybe someone uh, stops using it. I think it's 10 days is the active uh, window. they stop using it in 10 days, they're going to get an email back with some credits, you know, buy back. And, and that was just kind of a cool thing. It just kind of aligned ourselves to our users' interests. Um, other things we did were even the the sales team, and we do have sales at Slack. Some people think we don't, but we definitely have sales. <laughs> but we, we try to do it differently because, you know, in, in the way I looked at sales was like, look, some people, especially when you're part of larger companies, uh, mid-market enterprise, you know, the buying process isn't one person says, I'm going to buy it and sign it up for, you know, 10,000 people. You have to work with procurements and legal and InfoSec and all these different teams. And, and, and it's really just good to have someone there that can help you answer these questions, help it forward. So as opposed to just saying, you know what, the only thing we're going to look at when we kind of judge our salespeople is just how much they sell. We said, you know what, wouldn't it be really interesting if we actually looked at what was the average net promoter score of all their accounts? Um, we were kind of, first we did like a CSAT survey. So after you buy from us or after you do a customer success engagement, we send a survey back to those buyers and said, Hey, you know, that salesperson you're working with, you know, how courteous were they, you know, how responsive were they, how knowledgeable were they, you know, all these values that we thought were really important. Um, because ultimately we wanted to have this complete 100% customer centric focus which would just be minting out promoters, people that would just have a great experience, great experience with the product, great experience with buying, great experience with support, and they would go out and they would tell 10, 20, 30 other people. And I really think um, there's a lot of other things you do in marketing to help get you to new markets and paid advertising content, I'm sure we'll go into that, but having just that that core fundamental belief around customer centricity um, was able to generate this massive evangelism for Slack, which I think helped uh, accelerate its, its market adoption.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and at the core of that is the brand. And you talked there about the importance of brand. But, you know, as marketers, we have this tendency to uh, talk about things like funnel optimization, cohort analyses, and, and data driven decision making, which of course is all well and good and very important. But we don't hear so much about those topics such as brand marketing, storytelling. So tell us about Slack's brand strategy and, and how you built a billion dollar brand that everybody loves.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I think first off, look, there's nothing wrong with following all the performance metrics out there. You know, whether that be visits, leads, MQLs, SQLs, pipeline, um, it, it's good to know those those conversion paths. It's good to know what your conversion rates are. It's good to follow those cohorts. Um, you know, one of the things I mentioned to SaaS stock was, you know, for most SAS companies, most SAS companies I've worked with, 50% of your revenue is gonna be add on upgrade expansion. So people that add more users, or they move on higher plans, um, so you want to have this idea of again, like having people throughout your entire life cycle, and you need to measure those things. But I find what a lot of companies um, do is that's all they look at, and there's a danger there. If that's all you look at, you're optimizing around. I, I would argue phonometrics metrics are inherently short-term metrics, um, whereas I would maybe I'll, I'll throw it out there, probably controversial, but brand metrics are long-term metrics. So if you're only optimizing around leads, Well, what are you going to do? Of course, you're going to lock every piece of content you have. You know, you're going to make people fill out 17 field forms before they're ready. If all you're judged on is how much you've sold in sales, of course, you're going to oversell. You're going to overpromise. You're going to maybe bring in people that aren't good fits for your product, but, you know, you were able to just sell them and close that deal. Um, Again, all these things that that yield short-term results. If you're in support, you're going to, you know, outsource it, make it hard to find. You're going to lower your costs as much as possible because, again, if you're just using, like, a short-term, metric of, you know, well, how much should we spend cost per ticket, you know, well, let's just drive that down. Right. Um, all these are just, they're very short sighted and, and I understand like a lot of businesses, like, you know, you just, you're trying to hit the metrics, but I think when you start thinking about brand metrics and you start thinking, you know, a little bit further down the road, things like, you know, aided recall and unaided recall and sentiment, sure boy, sure conversation. These are much better. I think leading indicators of, Hey, do people even know about your service? You know, when we started tracking these at Slack, it was like, yeah, in San Francisco, everybody knew us. You know, when I would fly to the East Coast and speak at a government CIO forum, um, like no one knew us there, right? And it's a little bit of a reality grounding. And then it's like, okay, well, it, like, well, all right, if they know us, what is their perception of us, right? And how can we influence that? So I think like when we started putting together the brand strategy, um, there were a lot of components of it. First was just recognize like, hey, there are. Key brand metrics. Just because you're doing brand doesn't mean you get to go. Oh, well, you know, we're never going to measure this. Like, no, we wanted to measure it. We started measuring it. Um, we really start thinking about codifying. You know, what is our visual identity? What is our voice identity? So, for those that have ever used Slack or kind of read some of our content or gone to the website or the product itself, you'll see it's we have a lighter tone to it. So we don't get into. We try not to use jargon at all. Um, we don't say we are the next generation progressive platform for, you know, <laughs> insert whatever acronym. Uh, we we tried it to be human and funny and relatable, uh, personable. I mean, those were all kind of core editorial values that we kind of infused into that voice. Uh, we trained everyone on that voice. So anyone that had a customer facing role, we would train about like, what is that voice and, and how do you speak it? We'd actually measure tickets like are they adhering to our company values and do they speak in that tone um we would go back and you know in 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 the past look at some some tickets that already been answered and really just you know try to understand that um and then you know we started just thinking about again my role is kind of like that quasi CRO was just like all these teams how are they influencing that brand and so i know sometimes in marketing and brand it's like well all right well just your, your your mind naturally goes to all right well what brand campaign did they run and we did run some campaigns and we can talk about that, but I do think brand is a little bit larger in that it's just, it's all these little micro experiences that add up to someone's impression of your company. And if you look at it holistically, and if you look at every single team, how are they shaping that brand? uh, You have a better chance that they're going to have a great experience and they're going to recommend you.
1: Yeah. Could, could you tell us about some of your most successful brand marketing campaigns and also how do you actually measure the performance of a brand marketing campaign? Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah. So we did, uh, multiple campaigns at Slack. You know, for us, it was really interesting because usually you, most companies in the B2B level don't end up doing um, large-scale brand advertising. Um, a lot of times that's a, <laughs> a B2C type play. And the way we kind of looked at it was, A, Slack was, had a very large TAM or, or total adjustable market. It was, I mean, essentially it was really, anyone that had used email at work right, and wanted a better solution. Um, And email, by the way, it was invented 40 years ago, (laughs) never, ever intended for team communication. In fact, I would argue anyone that's been on a 50 reply all thread that does not die (laughs) knows how painful it is. Um, But, you know, we kind of recognized pretty early that advertising is a great way for us to reach a ton of people. And it actually, it's it's innovating on the traditional B2B go-to-market model, which would be you know, hire field sales reps to go in and wine and dine the CIO to have them buy this piece of software for you know for for a team that he doesn't even report into him. Um, advertising in our way was almost this way of like innovating, where he said, "You know what? Um, we're going to get into the hearts and minds of millions and millions of people, and not just the actual buyers, but the actual users, um, everyone within the organization." And so we kicked that off. Like I said, we did a, a an agency search pretty early. Uh, It was really interesting because we, you know, over the course of the couple years um, I was with Slack, we used really large, super well-known, massive agencies with massive price tags. (laughs) And we used some smaller agencies, you know, that literally were just using Slack and were fans and, you know, were excited to come on board with us. Um, And we put together some really cool campaigns. Um, When we launched them, uh, one of the ones is uh, Slack Amazing Teams Animals or Slack Amazing Teams uh, uh, Spaceship. Uh, you can search on those on YouTube. They'll come up. Um, they were. It was really interesting because when we launched it, uh, we were very methodical about how we actually tested it from the brand standpoint. So uh, the things, I, well, things we measured, which I talked about before, our primary ones were aided recall and aided recall and sentiment. And then we measured them a bunch of different ways. So first we would start doing a local city test. So we would run campaigns in, let's say, Seattle, Denver, and Austin. And then we'd measure that against similar other cities that did not see the campaign. And then we'd say, okay, you know, going into the market, what was the aided recall for those cities? After we ran the campaign, what was the lift? And what were we naturally growing at? Um so we almost had the, we had a control group in all the rest of the cities that didn't see it. Um, And we could see that. We would do even more specific pre and post uh, surveys. So going into a city, we would ask a bunch more questions to a specific audience, and after the campaign had run, uh, we would do a lot of uh, penetration. How many impressions do we want uh, an average person uh, within our target market to see the ad, um, to stimulate that awareness? We would do things like uh, online, and I think a lot of people think brand just means offline ads, and I, I don't think that brand to me is more about, you know, a brand ad is something of the emotion you feel from and the awareness you get from it, whereas a lead gen ad is, you know, free trial, start now, 20% off, you know, it's all about just getting that spur of action, um, but you can run brand ads, and we did, we ran a lot on online, we did YouTube, we ran a lot of podcasts, um, so we did like a YouTube homepage takeover, where we tested different creative. Uh, we actually tested kind of the, the spaceship ad versus the animals ad, and we were able to see, all right, well, how many people watched it all the way through, um, how many people engaged with it, liked it, retweeted it, shared it. Um, those were all other metrics we looked at. Um, and also we ran out a very national campaign uh, with both of those uh, creatives. And really, definitely rest of the world became our control group. So the rest of the world had not seen it, and we would measure their growth rates. And then we'd seen the U.S. after we ran this campaign um, you know exactly how we should improve our brand metrics. We also measured our, our, our lead gen metrics too. You know a lot more people came and started buying from us. But the thing with B two B two is it's it's a long cycle. You know it would take on average about three months for people from they heard about Slack to even sign up for the service, and then it would take another six months until they would actually pay us for it. And so that's a nine month window. And and you know you got to get out of the mindset that oh they saw one ad and they bought us tomorrow. It's it's more like you're nurturing people along that path.
1: Yeah. One thing I was just thinking is that, uh, you know, I'm mean, going to put you on the spot here, but yeah. say if you were uh, running marketing at a, you know, a fairly s- small SaaS company with limited budget, how would you advise those companies uh, to run a brand marketing campaign from that size?
0: I would say look, there, there's no reason you can't do it. Um, you know, advertising, you know, whether it's Legion, whether it's brand, you can measure these. There's good metrics for it. Um, start off with just a local city. That's a really easy way to do it. Find a local city that's one of your target markets. And just, you know, think about, all right, maybe it's a smaller market and how many impressions do we want each person to see? You know, on average they say you need about 20 impressions until you get active recall. Um, and then just you know run it in that campaign. And you have a control group against all the other cities that didn't get it, you know, you can measure that lift there. Um, and again, whether that's a lot of people, I think start with the performance because it's easy. You know, there's AdWords, and anybody can make a, a text AdWords ad. Um, but you know, brand I, I think is again like, you know, brand is long-term lead gen, <laughs> lead gen is short-term lead gen. So you can do it, and it's great, but you're not building a lot of affinity with your users, and you're not really swaying their hearts and minds. And for B two B, a lot of times these are emotional purchases. Um, so that it, it worked really well for us. Um, we did a lot of brand advertising at Zendesk as well. Um, we've done it at Salesforce. It, it, it's one tool, you know, in, in your in your toolbox. And there's a lot of other ones from you know content, conversion rate, marketing to you know PR and comms and events. But you know, it, it can be a very powerful and a very uh, important important tool.
1: Yeah, and actually, let, let's move on to talk a bit about uh, content marketing that you just mentioned because I know that was also effective uh, for you. Um, so, so tell us how did you use content marketing to scale your growth? Uh, at both Slack and also Zendesk.
0: Yeah, so you know both teams uh, was lucky to work with them. Incredible content marketers in both of those. Um, I'd say the first is just recognizing like, hey, content marketing is an incredible strategy to help build uh, awareness for your company, to help um, sway that sentiment, to help educate people in a good way. You know, I think we've all seen good content. You know, content where you're researching an industry and you want to learn more. Um, and we've seen bad content. Content is just like crappy brochureware that's just telling you why this company is awesome, you know in ten different ways. Um, I like content that you know recognizing that when people start learning about an industry, a field, you know they're not experts right away. and they they need to learn and they want you know understand more. So if both uh, Zendesk and Slack we would approach it where we go, all right well, what are the common pain points, you know people in these roles? So for instance, the Zendesk, we would, you know, write about stuff that was like core topics they were having, they want to learn more about. So like, how do you scale virtual support team? You know, a lot of customer support managers have to deal with that. And a lot, and at the time, no one that was selling customer support software was talking about it. You know, the, the, it wasn't like there were a ton of like good industry sites, they could just learn about this stuff. And so we said, you know what, let's write about that. You know, or one of the most popular pieces of content we ended up ever creating was this simple article. It took maybe half an hour to write. It was just, you know, hey, here's 10 interview questions that at Zendesk we use to ask, um, interview our customer uh, service reps. And, you know, a lot of customer support managers just are like, oh, you know, w- w- what should I ask them? Or maybe they're first-time customer support managers. They've never interviewed anyone before, right? And they just want to know, like, what are some good questions out there? Um, that was a great way. And we had this idea of breaking down content into top, middle, bottom funnel. Um, I think a lot of people just, again, focus on the bottom funnel. Bottom funnel is like we actually start talking about your product, your service, or your company. Happens where you don't really mention it much at all. You know, we had like the top interview questions or top customer support trends. We didn't really say like tons of Zendesk. There's maybe a small reference, like, hey, we're Zendesk, but we didn't, it wasn't the main part of the article. And the idea was we would bring them in, let them read this content, educate themselves, and start to, you know, slowly introduce the Zendesk brand. And they would trust us because, you know, hey, we're here and we're helpful and we want to nurture you through this, you know, this buying process, this journey. And so that worked really well. We had large content teams in both companies, maybe seven or eight people. We used a lot of freelancers, Um, you know. And it's basically it's just you know it's a strategy I think that works well. Obviously, from an SEO standpoint, you know, once the stuff starts ranking, you've got this evergreen content that just rakes in hundreds of thousands of people every every month. Um, And obviously, it's going to depend on your particular industry. At Slack, we tried to innovate on that as well, is where I think a lot of people look at content marketing and just say, oh, it's just the written word. Well, there, there's video content marketing, there's audio content marketing. So we were one of the first ones out there that did our own, well, you guys are doing it, but we did a, um, a branded um, a podcast. Uh, it was about the future of work. It was about all the way people, when they go through their careers, these inspirational, aspirational stories, stories about team communication. Um, and, and we pushed it out there. And we ended up getting some like, you know, like 6 million downloads. We got it down to something like 7 cents per listen. Um, and if you compare that to sometimes we'd spend a dollar for someone to watch one of our 60 second ads and it only costs seven seconds for them to listen to, you know, half an hour podcast. I mean, that was like a great way to introduce them to the brand. So content marketing can be a lot of different shapes and sizes and different strategies, but it's a great way to introduce yourself, um, to your, pers- to your prospects, uh, to educate them, to nurture them, and ultimately be a very effective marketing tactic for growth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some really good points there. And, uh, I want to talk now a bit about strategy. And in particular, how did you modify your marketing strategy at Slack when moving up market from the SMB sector to the mid market and enterprise?
0: Yeah, so most SaaS companies, or a, a really large amount of them, start off in SMB. Um, you know, SMB forces you to have an easy to use product. It's got to be simple, it's got to be at a price point that, that makes sense. And it forces you to be honest, it forces you to be good. Uh, and then you know the same. When Salesforce started in the SMB space. Uh, Zendesk started the SMB space. Slack started SMB space. And then you know you start to move up more at market. Um, and sometimes that's just you get early customers. They grow like crazy. So Zendesk had Twitter as an early customer. Um, you know, and it just started growing like crazy, right? And and, it, and pulled us up market. Um, but I think like as you move more at market, you know there are different strategies you're going to take. You know, again you're you're moving. There's multiple different buyers. Uh, you tend to use a little bit more field marketing events tend to be at um, things like analyst relations come into play, um, you know, but at the same time, I, I've never been a big one. Sometimes people say when you move more at market, you have to be like your brand has to lose any personality, especially in the B2B space. And, you know, you have to have show everyone wearing a suit and tie and speak in acronyms and never be emotional. And I always thought that was bullshit. I mean, there's just, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a B2B buyer, but you know, I'm a person too. And there's brands that I love and have a connection with. And so I think we just tried to stay true to our brand, both at Zendesk, um, at Slack, we tried to be fun with it, be authentic, have a strong visual identity, you know, um, not take ourselves too seriously. and, And realize, you know, people are people at the end of the days. And so you know, we didn't fundamentally change um, like our content marketing strategy. We still produce a ton of content and maybe we'd address the pain points of those higher markets, but, you know, we still wanted it to be helpful content that they could learn. Um, you know, we talked about, um, you know, from press and comms and just building overall momentum, that was a big part of us. Uh, getting into analyst relations, that's always tough, you know, because I think, a lot of the world is moving more towards authentic user reviews now just like in the b2c side you go to amazon you see all these user reviews well you know b2b has that too and so there's great companies like trust radius and other ones that you can you know basically harness those reviews and use those as, as a selling point uh, within your motion so there's you know lots of different ways to go about moving into the enterprise um, but i still say like you know stay fundamentally customer centric stay grounded um, and, and you can be successful with it
1: yeah so, if if you think about your success at Slack and Zendesk, if you just try to summarize here, what do you feel were the key factors, uh, especially from a marketing perspective, that enabled you to build these billion-dollar unicorns?
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's a great question. I mean, I I've been really fortunate. You know, I've had the opportunity to work for some you know amazing companies that had I, I felt really good product market fit, and and I've always thought marketing is there to you know apply the gasoline to the fire. You know, help help them even scale and accelerate that growth. So. Um, you know, along those lines, too, I think team has always been a huge part of it. You know, I've been fortunate to work with some incredibly talented people, uh, people that aren't into politics, people that are just about generating results, being customer-centric. I think that's been a big part. Um, I think another part has been just, you know, just because you're in B2B doesn't mean you have to follow the 40-year-old playbook. You know, there is this dusty B2B playbook <laughs> that says... You know, hire field sales reps, sell into CIO, buy steak dinners. You know, marketing is there just to help support that process, um, and that's it. And and I just thought, like, you know, in SaaS and B two B, you know, there's this tremendous product innovation, but why can't we innovate on how we sell and how we go to market, and leveraging marketing as as a growth driver and building a long-term brand and innovating on pricing and packaging and content and SEO and conversion rate marketing? There's all these incredible ways to uh, approach it, and so. I think just being open-minded, there, you know, constantly learning, constantly trying different things, testing, um, being customer-centric, um, you know, just—it's it, the culmination of this—the state of mind of just constantly moving forward, trying new things, and and doing it innovative, but always having customer at the center of the base.
1: Yeah, great. Some really, really good uh, good points there, and I think a really good good summary of uh, what you achieved at at Slack and Zendesk. But I'm thinking. We could just move on towards the, the closing part of the interview and and we move to our closing questions which is what we call the fast five challenge so basically i'm just going to ask you five questions and all you need to do is, is answer each one as quickly as possible so are you ready yes great stuff okay first question is uh what book or books are you currently reading i am currently reading the hobbit uh to my seven-year-old daughter i uh, i love tolkien
0: and it's been fun to kind of bring her up and, and, and go through the process as well.
1: Okay, great, yeah, love The Hobbit. Um, a SaaS company that you love and why? And you uh, can't I pick love- Slack or Zendesk, I'm gonna say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure, uh, I'll, I'll throw it Hotjar. Um, incredible company, customer centric, they're located all over the world. They do uh, heat maps uh, and customer information. Uh, incredible company, definitely check them out.
1: Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to get someone from Hotjar on the, uh, on the podcast. So if anyone's listening, then, then get in touch. Um, your favorite place to read about marketing online. Yeah. You know, actually, so I, I read a ton online. I also do a lot of
0: podcasts. I'm going to throw out a couple there. So I think, uh, marketing props is great. Uh, marketing over coffee. Those are, those are two really great ones. Always new topics coming out. Uh, obviously this podcast is, is amazing, but there's a, a lot of good resources out there.
1: Great. And your most important growth metric? Uh, uh, Net promoter score.
0: I think, uh, love NPS. In fact, uh, in Slack, at least on our own instance, the only way to get the bill emoji was to do colon NPS colon. I was such a big advocate of it. Uh, But yeah, I I think NPS is the best single metric a company can have. I think it's the single best leading indicator of your growth. And if you look at uh, the the best, most successful companies, say the Amazons, the uh, the Apples, they all have NPSs in 80s. Um, it's a great metric
1: great and finally your best piece of advice for fellow SaaS marketers
0: uh, just you know be opportunistic um, disrupt the model try new things you know it's, it's 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 okay to fail you should be failing you should be constantly trying new things you know just try
1: innovate uh give the customer an incredible experience Perfect. Awesome. Hey, Bill, I could talk to you for hours about this, but I think we're going to have to wrap up. So I just want to thank you so much for joining us. It has been absolutely fantastic having you on the show with us today. Edward,
0: it's been an honor to be here. Thank you again so much for including me. I
1: had a great conversation. It was a lot of fun. That was Bill Makaitis sharing the amazing story of Slack. There was a ton of knowledge and advice for all marketers out there. So if you liked the episode, then please give a shout out to Bill on Twitter. You can follow him at bmekaitis. And if you're enjoying the Growth Hub podcast, then please subscribe and leave us a review. We would truly appreciate that. So thank you all for listening to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advanced B2B. This is your host Edward Ford signing off and make sure you check out The Growth Hub at advancedb 2 bcom slash hub for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories.
0: And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying differently.